The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for... January 12th, 2022. Throw pal Justin Robert Young joining you from Austin, Texas. I'm going to warn you. If you are a Joe Biden super fan, well, there's going to be some tough love here. If you are a Joe Biden hater, well, then we are about to put the uh, capital T in the word tumescent. There's going to be a lot of criticism of Joe Biden because, dear listeners, I believe that we may be getting to a very dire inflection point. Where are the soldiers for the Biden army? What are the goals that they would like to achieve? And if we look at the battles that they have waged, why have more of them not be won? Is this a failure of strategy, inspiration, or maybe something else? We will begin discussing What has happened yesterday in Georgia, the beginning of the new, new legislative priority for Biden with Build Back Better in the past, past, past. He is now focusing on voting rights, and yet that seems almost puzzlingly more bleak. We are then going to uh, uh, move on to a possible change in leadership when it comes to the House of Representatives. Uh, This is a follow-up on some of Dave Leventhal's reporting when it comes to stock trading. Uh, Minority leader Kevin McCarthy talking a big game when it comes to how people in the House will uh, buy and sell stocks. And then we are joined by Bill Share, one of our favorites. And and we really kind of do an autopsy on what happened with Build Back Better, what's likely to happen with this voting rights stuff, whether or not there is a likely bipartisan solution to all this, something that we've talked about a little bit on this podcast over the last few weeks. And here's the big one. Is this it? closer we get to the midterms, the less tends to get done. Is this pretty much the end of Biden's legislative prowess? All that. But first. 
In the next few days, when these bills come to a vote, will mark a turning point in this nation. Will we choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadow, justice over injustice? I know where I stand. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend your right to vote and our democracy against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so the question is, where will the institution of the United States Senate stand? Those are remarks from Joe Biden in Georgia yesterday. And to that, with a nod to John Cena, I will say, fine speech. The issue that I have with it is not the words that are coming out of his mouth, but rather the audience that will be there to hear it. Despite the fact that Joe Biden is going down to Georgia so he can paint the picture that the voting rights laws that are being passed state by state are nothing short of a new Jim Crow. And specifically, the law passed in the state of Georgia is exactly that. He is going with the first female black vice president in history. He is going to the Ebenezer Baptist Church where Martin Luther King Jr. and his father once were the uh, leaders of that congregation, where current Senator Raphael Warnock indeed serves in those posts. And yet, I have only one quote that rattles around in my mind. To quote Jay-Z from The Takeover, we don't believe you, you need more people. And it's not just me that's saying this, because there are a lot of voting rights groups, specifically minority-affiliated voting rights groups that are not attending this speech, that are intentionally snubbing him. Now, understand what that means. This is the president of the United States in his first term. His first term. All power is future power. You should be at the peak of your powers in your first term. And these activist groups who he is very deliberately trying to court are turning their back on him. Uh, Latasha Brown of Black Votes Matter says we're beyond speeches. We're beyond events. Former NAACP of Georgia President James Woodall said, we don't need any more speeches. We don't need any more platitudes. We don't need any more photo ops. We need action. And that actually is in the form of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. And we need that immediately. Also skipping the event was the Asian American Advocacy Fund, the Atlanta North Georgia Labor Council, the Galio Impact Fund, the New Georgia Project Action Fund. But here's the real kick in the balls. Also not attending, current Democratic candidate for governor. Somebody for whom has made voting rights in Georgia her mission, almost synonymous with the issue. Stacey Abrams not attending due to a scheduling conflict. Now, look. While Joe Biden certainly did a good job of courting progressive causes when he was running for the presidency, he is a moderate. Uh, the idea that activists would snub him 
is not the craziest thing in the world. Okay, like it's not. Now he's deliberately doing things that you would hope they would be into. He's coming down to Georgia. He's making a big deal of it. He could have done this speech from the Rose Garden, could have done it from somewhere else very close to D.C. No, he's making a big show of it. So you'd hope that they would show up. But Stacey Abrams? Somebody for whom would theoretically be counting on star power from the Democratic Party to help her win? Openly snubbing the president of the United States of America? I mean, tell me that's not a bad omen. I I, I can't think of a situation where that's that's good. Joe Biden is currently at 42% approval in the Real Clear Politics average. That's around Donald Trump's historical average of 41%, according to Gallup. And we're going to get into the 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 quest for voting rights and what's likely and what's not likely and the mechanisms by which it would have to go forward for it to happen with Bill Share a little bit later. But I want to get meta here. Because here's what's worried here's what worries me on this. Even as Donald Trump's approval ratings sort of were mired between the high 30s and low 40s, he still had control of his party. House members and senators might privately gripe about him in hill bars and off the record to reporters, but in public, they either fell in line or paid a price. And I know that Trump is essentially a loaded term these days, but in this area, he's in line with historical trends. Presidents who pass things know how to wrangle Congress. Presidents who don't complain that Congress won't do what they want. In general, Not passing things in Congress isn't the end of the world for a president. It is a tricky thing to do. Being inactive legislatively while things are going well, well, ain't all that bad. But things, at least in the eyes of the American people, are not necessarily going all that well. It's a turbulent world. COVID cases are spiking, and what's worse, there seems to be a shifting on exactly how bad that is. The CDC is reducing guidance on isolating, and yet some schools are moving to remote learning. These are kitchen table issues, confusion that crosses all lines. The Supreme Court might deliver a blow to Biden on his OSHA vaccine mandate. And at some point this month, the federal government is going to see how fast they can deliver 500 million rapid antigen tests. The effectiveness of which is now in question when it comes to the modern wave. Oh, and also that wave will have crested in many major media popular major well they are media media markets but major population centers by the time that these tests finally hit mailboxes now some of this kind of stuff is within biden's control and some of it isn't but biden just doesn't seem like a very steady hand on the wheel now does he And it seems like that perception is something that now even his allies are not respecting. All power is future power. He should be humming along right now and he's sputtering. But wait, there's more. 
According to a poll from the Associated Press, uh, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, there's growing concerns about the economy over COVID. Inflation compared to previous years uh, uh, has gone up uh, a record amount. Guys, he's not doing great on COVID. He's not doing great, or at least economically. And we're going to have somebody on next week to, to discuss the disparity between economic anxiety, the really low unemployment rate. Unemployment rate went down to 3.9%. Uh, which is crazy because normally a low unemployment rate is the surest sign that an economy is doing well. <clears throat> and yet with the inflation rates, it seems to have wiped that out. So we're going to have uh, somebody on next week to talk about that. I guess here's how I would sum all this up. It's reasonable to ask what Joe Biden's plan is. To ask how he plans to implement it and then judge the results. Yesterday, he gave a speech that even his intended audience didn't want to hear. But other than that, Dr. Jill Biden, how was the trip? Before the end of the year, our dear friend, the money man, Dave Leventhal, and his intrepid reporters at the D.C. Bureau of Insider published a series about the stock trading and sometimes lack of reporting from both senators and members of the House. And so today we bring you a missive from Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. I'm going to preface this by saying the following. It is long tradition that the people out of power in Congress will talk a lot about what they're going to do and how they're going to clear, uh, clean things up once they get into the power position. That does not always accurately predict future results, but I am at my heart a newsman, and thus I will read for you this. This according to Punchbowl News. Kevin McCarthy is considering instituting new limits on an outright ban on lawmakers holding and trading stocks and equities if Republicans take over the majority in November which I will add editorially, is likely. McCarthy told us his planning on this front is in its early stages and he hasn't yet decided on what kind of limitations there will be on stocks, trades, or holdings. One idea would be to force lawmakers to hold only professionally managed mutual funds. Another proposal the GOP leadership is con uh, considering would bar lawmakers from holding stocks in companies or industries that their committees oversee. Other members have advocated for mandatory blind trusts for lawmakers' holdings. Of course, this debate has been spurred by our boy, Dave. The logic is simple. Members and senators often get sensitive information about U.S. policy before it becomes public. Under the Stock Act, lawmakers and aides are prohibited from trading on such information. Yet, if you look at what happened after lawmakers were briefed about the threat of COVID, well, you can see the results. Multiple came under scrutiny, including a federal criminal investigation, although nobody was charged with any wrongdoing. Will there be new rules? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, by the time that all these new Congress folk get in, if Kevin McCarthy indeed is the majority leader, well, that'll be a long time between then and now, unless there are further scandals 
that that talk about this kind of stuff, then I think it'll largely be forgotten. And nobody in Congress is going to make more rules about Congress unless somebody outside of Congress is yelling at them. Still, we are a media outlet, which means we celebrate our friends and other media outlets. So a big celebration to the insider group. That is good reporting that has now gotten a real campaign promise from Kevin McCarthy. So take that for whatever it's worth. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you guys for uh, uh, being a part of this show. Thank you very, very much for uh, supporting our NFT episode last week. Uh, I, I, I very, very, very much appreciate uh, the fact that you guys uh, uh, have the patience for me to set, kind of do those those uh, essay episodes. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. That one was a little bit of a test. I was testing you. Testing you. To see whether or not you were, uh, I could get kind of a little techno weird about it. Obviously, uh, uh, many of you have followed me from either Daily Tech News Show or the Twit Network or the Morning Stream, all of which are tech literate uh, uh, fields. You guys probably didn't need the explainer about NFTs, but I know a lot of you didn't. A lot of you kind of follow me for more straight political analysis, which is what I do here as opposed to what I've done in the past or do on the side. So thank you. Uh, I just kind of wanted to take a moment to say that. Essay episodes will be happening more frequently this year. Certainly not every Friday, but uh, I think on a fairly regular cadence. In fact, I think I got another one that I'm writing now that you guys will be really, really, really happy about. And also, uh, thank you guys for recognizing that we did send out a written version of that uh, episode on our free political newsletter. So the free political newsletter is back. It's not daily. It's not a news digest. But I, I do like the ability that this is something that's a little bit more shareable with your friends and family. If you if you do appreciate uh, uh, what I've written, then, you know, sharing it and, and, uh, getting more people inside the tent is really appreciated. Speaking of being inside the tent, this podcast only happens because we have amazing, amazing patrons at takepoliticsseriously.com. That is our, uh, premium option place where you can pay at the $3 level to get two bonus podcasts each and every week. One of them on Mondays, one of them on Thursdays, even when we are in, uh, uh, you know, kind of vacation times, like we went into soft hibernation over the end of December, where we only did one episode each week. Uh, those two podcasts kept happening. They're there for you. So why don't you head on over there right now? Take politics seriously. Com. Thanks again to everybody who supports us. It's the only reason why this show happens. No ads, just listener support. And boy, am I happy about it. Thank you very much. Take politics seriously.
Our guest today is no stranger to our program. He is one of our regulars. Indeed, when I uh, did the survey of uh, uh, guests that you guys like the most, Bill Share came up on the list a few times. Enough that I needed to say, well, we got to catch up on, on what the hell is happening with Joe Biden's legislative strategy. Hachi machi. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Bill, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you as always. What the hell's happening? <laughs> what the hell? I mean, like, like I, I've, I, I really, two massive L's that I have had to take over the past two years. Number one, QR codes became a regular part of life. And number two, <laughs> I had bet that like, Usually when people who are often described as Senate generals become president, the one thing that they are very good at, maybe sometimes even to the expense of their executive powers, is getting things through Congress. I went to the LBJ Museum now that I live here in Austin. Every room, 11 things he passed because he was very good at getting things through Congress. Uh, I I am shocked at the futility of the Biden administration so far. Uh, are you? Well, the the important thing I have to ask you is: Have you had the chicken fried steak at Threadgills? Now that you are in Austin, I have not had the chicken fried uh, steak at Threadgills. Is that is that is that a must eat? I mean, it, it was like twenty years ago when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not anymore. I don't know. That's all I know about Austin. Um, it, is, anyway. it is on the list now. On the list now. <laughs> um, look, I, I thought, I thought Build Back Better was going to happen by by the end of the year. I yeah. I I, I argued. I, I I think rationally, Joe Manchin was holding all the cards. Yeah. He has. I mean. So some people say, well, you know, it's good for him because it's a, he represents West Virginia. It's a Trump state. He wants to run in 2024. He should oppose Biden on this or that. But from my vantage point, he has the most power he will ever have in his entire life. Yes. You are the deciding vote in a 50-50 Senate. You're, you're the deciding vote for a reconciliation bill. I mean, um, there's only two points in time when you are the single most powerful center in the universe. If it's a 50-50 vote for reconciliation and you're the guy, or if you're in a 60-vote supermajority and you're trying to pass a bill through regular order, you know, that, that's yeah. when you have your most power. Um, so whatever he wants, he can get. Um, I can't believe that he wants is nothing. You know, he, he must want something, well, right? Well, I, I guess, I mean, that's, but that's, you know, he apparently gave the Biden administration a $1.8 trillion deal that well, I guess it, we, we can now look at, we are autopsying this. It yeah. appears to me that he was dead set against doing a lot of very short-term funded programs. He wanted right. more, fewer long-term funded programs that would almost assuredly become permanent things forever right. because once something's funded for 10 years, it never goes away. He that, did not. That, yeah. And that, and that way you are in his vantage point, you're it's honest budgeting. You know yes. what you're paying for. You're raising the tax revenue to pay for the things that you're doing. It's not a bait and switch game. So we didn't want to do a one year thing that was going to have to get added on to with more tax revenue or, or a deficit down the line. That's that. That's what he said. And he that's gave this he 1.8 trade offer that was in line with his philosophy. 
the catch of that offer, this is back in mid-December, was yeah. that it didn't have the expanded child tax credit, which bought, which is very prized to Biden. We've had it, we had it last year. It did yeah. a great job cutting child poverty. And they, they thought it was going to be like the signature initiative of the Biden administration. Didn't want to give it up. He, he didn't, Biden didn't say, let's stop talking, but he didn't rush to embrace it. And then Manchin said, well, I'm, well, now I'm done. Uh, so I did not foresee that series of events. Yeah. Um, and of course, it may well be that they're still going to get there in some capacity, but we don't know if or or, or when. Uh, and yeah, but, but for, for the record, though, it does seem like things have gotten worse since the moment <laughs> that he went on Fox News of all channels and said that he was stepping away from the table. He has now said, according to reports, at least I believe it was Punchbowl that reported this, that they that he is now removing the one point eight trillion dollar right, deal right. that he had put out off the table. So now that's off the table. And of course, if you're a mansion hater, you're going to say, look, this guy is not honest. He's not bargaining in good faith. He's moving the goalposts. And like, I can't tell you what's going on in his head. Well, I, I can argue, which I have. I, I think rationally speaking, he should do some sort of deal, a deal of which he can dictate the terms. And maybe by doing things this way, I mean, child tax care was a tough Jenga piece to pull out of the yeah. tower. Uh, but at this point, you know, the White House might be so thirsty that they're more willing to accept that now that Manchin has given off the impression that what he really wants is nothing. If you think he wants nothing, you'll take something. Uh, but, but we're not in a position where there's a lot of intense negotiations going on right now. And the focus has started to shift to voting rights and electoral count act. Uh, it might very well swing back to build back better soon enough, but you know, these are the only two things that are really out there in, in terms of stuff Biden is trying to get past. And there's only so many months left you know, before before the midterm. So at some point, I think Biden's got to really lean in harder uh, and try to figure out what he can actually pin mansion down on if he's to get anything. Okay. Well, before we get into voting rights, because that that'll be, this is informed or this will inform that. Can we look back at the strategy that, that somewhere between the progressive caucus and the white house the the strategy to move Mansion from X to Y has been put him in the public sweat house. Let's make him the star. Let's let's make uh, uh, this the the big Joe Mansion is 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 the holdout guy. We're not negotiating. He is an, an obstructionist who has not moved things forward. That has not seemed to work, has it? No. And uh, this is, I think, the big mistake of. Of the of the Biden presidency so far, uh, and I something I wrote about the Washington Monthly not not too long ago because there are some people, um, uh, some progressives who were on my case. You know, you yeah. said you you could trust Joe Manchin. You said that they should delink the infrastructure bill from Build Back Better, and if you do that, he'll still come around. And now we got burned. So why can't you just admit that you were wrong? And I'll say, yeah, I. I seem to be wrong that he wasn't prepared to vote for Build Back Better in short order. Um, but if the conclusion that you had was he doesn't want to pass this, he doesn't want to pass something of this grandiose nature, that should have informed your legislative strategy last year. Yes. At the front end of the year. Uh, if, you th if you think this guy, Joe Manchin, he's, he's practically a Republican, he's in the pocket of coal, let's offer 
a multi-trillion dollar progressive wish list and jam it down his throat. Like that doesn't, <laughs> two data points don't square with me. People should have met with Manchin and, and cinema, maybe anybody else who they thought might not be, you know, all in. Have those meetings in January and February and say, hey guys, what do you want to do? How far can we go here? Because the squeeze play was, has been a botch from the get-go, trying to squeeze them on yeah. filibuster, squeeze them on voting rights, squeeze them on climate, squeeze them on uh, child tax credit. None of that has worked. He, they, if, if they thought, well, you know, imagine just, he gets the posture, but he'll be a team player in the end. Well, guess what? That wasn't the right call. I mean, I get people testing that water out to see maybe yeah. that worked, but I, I think pretty midway through 2021, it was clear that wasn't working. Uh, yeah, there's just been a double down, a double down, a double down. Uh, this whole way through. So at some point, you got to turn down the temperature, you got to clear the decks, get in a room and say, look, what do you want? We know we need your vote and we know we're not going to make you do something you don't want to do. What do you want to do? I guess, but that's even then that kind of verbiage to me, it's like, we know what he wants. He put a plan on the table. He says, I, I want this $1.8 trillion plan. The child tax credit isn't in it, but these other programs are funded for longer. He, he wants budget certainty. He is, uh, according to himself, saving the Democratic Party from itself on on inflation uh, uh, issues, especially uh, uh, considering where the polling is now showing that people care more about economics than they even do COVID. But I, 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 I just when I look back at the reporting and you look back at what was said and some of the things that were said in frustrations during the various failure points, the one thing that I keep coming back to is it feels realistic based on some of the reporting that the administration made promises to everyone. And they didn't know if they could square that circle. They were hoping that it would kind of come through at the end, considering a historic achievement would be on the horizon. And it didn't. And if that's the case, if if this is like you said, a, a failure of architecture of, you know, this is this is the boat designers problem. They, they, they built a boat that was meant to sink. Uh, uh, then then we we have to look at at, at that point, that that joint uh, uh, uh collection of Congress where Biden first announced the build back better in the American rescue plan and the American oh. families plan and say, Hey, maybe at that point we should have had a more realistic idea of things that could have happened. I mean, part the big problem was that you know, a narrative took hold uh, within a lot of the progressive elements of the democratic party and quite frankly, the democratic party, you know, more broadly that, you know, Obama made a big mistake in 2009, 2010. He didn't go big enough. He, he pre-negotiated, he trimmed his sales, uh, yeah. and they sure they passed some stuff, but it wasn't as big and as bold as it could have been. And, and they got burned in the midterms because of it, uh, because people didn't feel um, the, the potency, the benefits from the Recovery Act and the Affordable Care Act you know, right away. Uh, so let's not make that mistake. We got to go big and go early show the public that we're going to do these huge things that, are, that they're going to feel in their lives. And the number one aspect of that was child tax credit, not just that we're yeah. going to expand the, the amount that you get, but that we're going to uh, give it to you for a month and not at the end of check. the year. And we're going to get these checks and they're going to love these checks. They're not going to, and, and, and that's going to be this huge political incentive to keep, keep them going. And the, 
I mean, uh, there's some logic to it. It's not like I thought the whole thing was ridiculous from the get-go. Uh, and and, and, and was, by the way, child tax credit was something that that in various forums had been bipartisan. I think I remember Mitt, uh, Mitt Romney and, right. and Marco Rubio were, were for it. And and there's still arguably some chance you could find a way to get it done bipartisan in the future. But we did it in a partisan way. And so they did it. They did partisan for one year. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, you better be be pretty damn sure you're going to get that extension. But you were already hearing in March of last year squeamishness from the moderates about how we're going to pay for this thing. because It's expensive. It's yes. a, it's a it's a it's a hundred billion dollars a year up through 2025 or six. And then because Trump expanded the child tax credit in his mm-hmm. tax reform bill and put a sunset on his version of it to keep it going at the higher level beyond 2025 is even more money. It gets up to $200 billion a year. Um, so no one figured out how to make that work in a way that they would get the votes for. It. Uh, so that was, you know, kind of leading with your chin. Uh, and the signs were so the signs that are in March that the moderates weren't all the way there on paying for it and keeping it going by, you know, August, September, the Biden's polls cratered. So you could say, Hey, look, this thing poll child tax credit polls, polls well on its own. Yeah. Uh, okay. But it's not polling well enough to prevent Joe Biden from being in the low forties. It's not, it may be popular, but it's not that popular. Uh, so you weren't seeing this clamor for that made Joe Manchin, it'd be easier for Joe Manchin to say, I'm going to let this expire. I'm no sweat off my nose. Yeah. Uh, and, and here, and here we are. So, uh, the one bill that passed that is still on the books today yep. is the infrastructure bill and yeah. the infrastructure. So the they, infrastructure they, bill, they got, they got the part, the partisan COVID bill and, and the infrastructure bill. Those, right, those but are I mean, the two. But, yeah. But most of the partisan bill is, is it was a, is a short term bill. So that's largely, yes. yeah. I mean, there's gotcha. still elements. Okay, so so still, going, going forward outside yeah. of, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, there's still money going to the to cities and whatnot that are still from that, but on the whole, yeah, as far but that, as but that money's gone. Out there, that money's right. out. Yeah. yeah. The, this this is the uh, money that is still dispersing. Right. Um, so the progressive uh, theory of the case that you go big, you rally the public, and you pressure the system to do what you want that largely did not work out well in 2021. The thing that did work was getting Republicans and Democrats in a room together drafting the bill together and then selling it from the public from there. That worked. Uh, yeah. And so the problem, you know, Democrat, a lot of Democrats just don't have the trust that you can find enough Republicans to do those sorts of things. And look, there's a whole bunch of things that you probably can't do that way. Of course, I'm not, I mean, the Republicans are open for business. They're not willing to do whatever it is Democrats yeah. want to do. Um, but, you know, you know, Mitch McConnell came out last week and said, you know, we're not going to do this big voting rights bill, but electoral account act, which is the bill that, determined supposed to codify yeah we're gonna get to eca in a second uh, but okay, because okay. i, I, I want to reset on voting rights here real quick okay. because after all that everything that we've just said now the new focus is after some sputtering about how they're definitely going to bring build back better to a vote to make joe manchin vote no and that may or may not happen now the big issue, and, and uh, as this podcast airs yesterday, Joe Biden will be in Georgia giving his big, forceful reset speech about voting rights and, more specifically, his endorsement to carve out uh, the filibuster so it could be voted on by a simple majority uh, that they want the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and uh, 
No, it's not the For the People Act. What is for what freedom is, to freedom vote, freedom to vote act? Freedom to vote act. There we go. It seems as if the key strategy for this, in the same way that insanity is the definition of doing the same thing every day and <laughs> expecting a different result, is to pressure Joe Manchin to reforming the filibuster, for which it seems that he has less political pressure to 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 move on now. In a situation where he's already spurned Build Back Better and it doesn't seem like the world is falling for him politically, why on earth does anybody think that this is a, a reasonable strategy? I mean, I don't think the Democrats are by and expect Manchin to come around. If they do, they're really deluded. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, I, I suspect. Well, they, 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 they got a funny way of showing it. I suspect they think that they can't get this bill passed, but they have to show that they fought as hard as they possibly could and put the blame on Manchin and maybe Kirsten Sinema uh, as well. So and, more sweatbox. Let's put them on a put them on another island. Now uh, they're not just in the we hate kids island. They're in the <laughs> we're also racist and we're against democracy island. Uh, and and that also I think stems from a lack of trust that you could ever pass anything with Republican help on this score. Yeah. Uh, and I've written about this a lot in the past year. And it's, it, it, I find just a fascinating case study because I think both parties are trapped in these factually flawed narratives. Uh, Democrats believe with expansive, the, that Republicans can only win elections by restricting voting rights and suppressing yeah. the vote. And they have to do this, not just for democracy's sake, but so they can win elections themselves. Yes. And Republicans basically believe the, believe the same thing that, um, oh, it, oh, Democrats can only win if they like mail out ballots to everybody and they and they take and they harvest votes by putting them on buses. Even though these these people don't even know who they're voting for, they're going to give them some card to, them to vote for and stick them on a bus and, or they're going to take their ballots and fill them up themselves, stick them in the, yeah. mail, in the mail drop. Um, we just had an election in Virginia. Now, you might yep. think of Virginia as, you know, the old South, but no, it hasn't nope. been lately. No, nope. it's a, 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 for at least a couple more days. Uh, it's a it's democratically run state. And during that time, they changed their voting laws. They don't have voter ID. They have expansive early voting. They enfranchise hundreds of thousands of, of ex-felons. And what happened in November? A Republican one. Republican, they, they, they won up and down the ballot. <laughs> Yeah. In a high turnout election with liberal voting laws. And yep. it's that, that's not a fluke. There is lots of evidence that, I mean, not that, not that only Republicans win high turnout elections, but that the pool of non-voters and rare voters is pretty evenly split. You know, yep. either pools of people on the left and the right can be pulled off the sidelines for, for, for different motivations. Uh, there's no inherent tilt to Democrats with mail voting or early voting. Uh, and, and voter ID has backfired on Republicans time and time again. It just has agitated the voters are trying to suppress. They, can, they, they, they figure out how to overcome the hurdles and they still vote uh, so long as there's motivation. Uh, yeah. So we, what, what's not happening is a clear-eyed look at the data. So you can go to both parties and say, look, here's a bunch of things that you can pass that are electorally neutral. Yes. They're not going to put the thumb on the scale. Uh, even something like, you know, Democrats, let's get back to the Electoral Count Act stuff, because Electoral Count Act is what the law, it's a 19th century law that determines how you ratify the Electoral 
college vote. It's just about the, just about the presidency. And yeah. it, it, it for it, and we we recap this on on a previous episode, but effectively, the point of the Electoral Count Act back in uh, I believe it was eighteen seventy five was to make Congress a dumb pipe for the state's will. This would be a reform, reform elements that have long been sought since 1875, because it's a very broadly written law to make Congress an even dumber pipe for for, sure. for the states. It was 1876 when you had the the contested Hayes oh, election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. And right. they had to create they had to create an ad hoc commission to decide who won because there were contested slates of electors. Yeah. Uh and it was a messy solution. Nobody was really happy with it. So they created this law in the aftermath of that to try to clarify how these things go. Uh, but it's an outdated law. It's got weird provisions that are hard to interpret. Um, and and, it, was, and it was soft spots in these laws that when you read about like in, in the new Woodward book about the memo sent to Mike Pence, it is looking to take advantage of perceived weaknesses in the Electoral Count Act that would have been able to send the vice president would have been able to send these things back to the states. Allegedly, that, that, that's what that's what right. the memo suggested that that they could do. Right. So it would move everybody to kind of clarify things like fix the fix the weak spots, make it so they can't be misinterpreted. Now, uh, that doesn't achieve every solution needed to prevent election subversion. You know, yeah. states coming up with uh, newfangled voting numbers or submitting slates of electors or seating people for down ballot races that didn't really win. Um, yeah. It, it Discounting solve, slates of votes and stuff like that. Doesn't solve all those problems. But, you know, Mitch McConnell did say recently, uh, I'm not going to do your whole voting rights bill, but I'll, I'm happy to look at electoral count. I think there's there's things to, to, to address there. And Democrats' reaction was, you know, what's this guy up to? Well, I, we can't trust this guy. Um, he, just wants, he just wants to kill voting rights. And I'm like, he's already killed voting rights. Like, voting rights, is, as it stands, Freedom Vote Act is not going to become a law. He doesn't have to do something extra to stop that. Um, but, and what appears to be happening right now, we just saw this reported this morning in uh, Punchbowl News, there is a bipartisan group coming together to look at electoral conduct and some other elements of, of election administration uh, that could address some of the subversion concerns. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's, a, and you might think, why would Republicans want to come along with this? Now, keep in mind, you know, Democrats are terrified that Republicans are going to, you know, fire, you know, city clerks and, you know, local board of electors people so they can put in, you know, apparatchiks. Uh, there are Republicans that think that Democrats do funny business in the cities too. I mean, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying these are fair charges, but I'm saying they believe it, it. is. It, it may or may not be baked into the rivalries between these parties. Anybody who has any sense of history understands that that, that there is, you know, a, a long-standing to the point of comedy jokes about uh, a, a Democratic election malfeasance. Again, your mm -hmm. mileage may vary about how much you believe mm -hmm. it, but this certainly right. is out there in the ether. So I, I do think there you could get a bipartisan group together, one of which has formed now, according to principal yeah. news, uh, to address those things that, as where both sides can go to their people and say, you know what, this thing that you're worried about, this thing that our base is worried about, we try to address this. We, we made the penalties stiffer for this kind of bad behavior, for this kind of manipulation, for this kind of miscounting of the vote. Uh, and we made it very clear that the vice president can't decide who wins the electoral college, which as of today, Republicans don't want the vice president to decide who wins electoral college. No. It's not Mike Pence anymore. It's Kamala Harris. Uh, so, and maybe, just maybe, if 
they're having that conversation in a bipartisan room. Maybe they might start looking at some of this other voting data, the voter ID data, the early vote data, the mail data, and realize, you know what? The, the ex who, who is your average felon? A young, white, non-college male. These are yeah. Republican voters. They're not, they're not all potential African-American Democratic voters. Um, there, that data is available to look at. I've published it. Uh, I've tried to call attention to it. Maybe they can have an objective conversation and find out some other areas where they could build on electoral account act reform and do something not as expansive what Democrats might want, but something. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to say go to your you know political betting markets and bet money. This is going to happen. No. Uh, but the only bill again outside of the the American Rescue Plan bill, which was reconciliation and partisan, everything else yeah. has been done through bipartisan means, and you do and you get something bipartisan, not by drafting the bill with one party and showing it to the other side. Yes. That, that doesn't work. That's not bipartisan. Yeah. You get in the room together and you draft it together. That's how that stuff works. Well, do you believe electoral count act happens? I, I think, I mean, I, I, I it's a little early for me to make a bold prediction on it. Cause they've just sure. started this process. Uh, I see no reason. I, I, I think you can find 10 Republicans who be willing to clarify the vice president doesn't decide it wins electoral college like that. If that yeah, part if, of it, if, it's not hard. There are other parts yeah. that are harder, um, but the basic nut of it is not something that is, is a point of division between the two parties. If Mitch McConnell is on board at this early stage, I think that you probably have about as good a shot as any to get 10 Republicans on board because he's gotten 10 Republicans on board for stuff that is even, you know, like he got 10 Republicans on board to save Schumer from from uh, uh, the, 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 debt limit. The, the, the debt limit. So it's like he can he can find 10 to do this. Look, Mitch McConnell, as far as I'm concerned, Mitch McConnell is a front stabber, not a backstabber. Yes. He by and large, he tells you where he stands. If he says he's not going to do it, he's not going to do he's it. He's not. Yes. If, he says, if he says he's open to talk about it, then you should talk to him because he might actually do it. Do you believe the bill back better passes in any form between now and the midterms? I mean, I. If, if everyone was acting in a rational manner, I mean, look, I think it is in, you know, I think it's in Manchin's interest to pass something because it's not like if you wait until 2023 to do legislation, if, if Biden is stuck in the 40s and it's a disastrous midterm for Democrats and Republicans control the House and the Senate, Guess how much power Joe Manchin has? Nothing. Zero. <laughs> he, he does not get his way on, mo- on much of anything. They don't, yeah. don't need him for anything. He is at his highest point of power right now. And it's in his interest to keep Democrats in power so he can retain some power. I mean, even if Democrats somehow manage to get, you know, some people might say, oh, if we had 52 Democrats that said that Manchin would have any power, you know what? He's still going to have some power. You know, yeah. it's, not, yeah. it's, not, it's only 51 socialists in Joe Manchin. Uh, so, it's in his interest to keep Democrats around and giving Biden a lifeline helps in that. I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle to keep the, the Senate anyway, the Congress in general. Um, but he mentioned can help by passing something. But this, this is, I think this is rational analysis. And sometimes people don't act rationally. So I, that's why I have to stop sure of making a firm prediction. As somebody who watches this closely, do you think that this has gotten unnecessarily personal with Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema? That, that this is kind of like beyond whether or not it's like within bounds, quote unquote, of, of congressional behavior and strategy, like that it's just become unnecessarily unproductive. 
I mean, to some of the reporting was that the White House put out a statement in December that called out Manchin by name, and that's what ticked Manchin off and made him go to Fox News Sunday and say, yeah. I'm, 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 not, I'm not there anymore. Um, is, is that actually what happened? Is that actually what made Manchin? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but certainly making it personal, I don't think helps. You want to ter- yeah. cool temperatures. Um, putting Manchin on the hot seat every time it just made him more prickly and more difficult. Uh, so you, I, I think you want to butter him up. You say, I know Manchin, you know, wants good things for West Virginia and good things for America. And I'm sure we can find a way that we can pass that that's, that's for everyone's best interest. And I look forward to talking to him further, uh, trying to give him, you know, the, the OBJ arm twisting, you know, treatment has not done the job. No. And he's got a lot of people yelling outside of his house, which is very annoying for him because he lives on a boat and things that go on the water. <laughs> if let's say ECA gets on, cause I'm, 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 you know, based on kind of just like reading the tea leaves, it, it seems to me for whatever reason, uh, the, the, the white house wants to go through the, 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 the motions on voting rights. And, and then, you know, it looks like there might be a shot for ECA realistically though, where does that bring us into the calendar? My guess would be probably March, right? Maybe even later than that because we're on Congress time. Is that pretty much it for the year before the midterms, considering things don't normally get done the closer we get to election day? You know, that is, you know, a common assumption. I haven't done all the research on the subject. I will say this. The Bill Clinton crime bill was the summer of 94. It was August. And I think he signed yeah. it in September. Um, that was a bipartisan bill. Uh, and Clinton tried very hard to use that to save them in the midterms. It didn't work. Um, yeah. Conservatives still hated it. And they called it the midnight basketball bill. Uh, Frank Lund said that was more the reason why they lost Congress than the debacle of health care. Um, so it's like it never happens. It is possible to pass things late in the season of a midterm year. Um, but as it stands, you know, what's 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 on the on deck circle? You know, it's Build Back Better, Voting Rights ECA, and that's it. I mean, there's, there's nothing being talked about right now. I mean, Democrats essentially tried to jam everything into yeah. Build Back Better. Um, they haven't expected to get much else out of Republicans through regular order. So this, this is what we think we, we think we can get by ourselves. Manchin has already said a whole bunch of that. You're not getting by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let you. So it's going to be a narrower bill. Uh I mean, maybe if, you know, child tax credit is stripped out of Build Back Better for good, maybe they rekindle conversations with Mitt Romney and Marco Rubio and to see if there's something else they can, they can do there. Um, but we're we're not even at square one with any of that yet. And there is finite time. So uh, I'm not expecting a robust legislative calendar no. uh, once we get into you know the summer and fall. Well, Bernie Sanders to The Guardian uh, in an article published, I believe, either yesterday or early today, said that he was for a, a standalone child tax care credit bill. So maybe we are starting to see some uh, 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 urgency from from the progressive side to say, all right, look, if we're not going to get the gigantic bill, let's start to to put some pressure on on the smaller programs for which they really care about. So maybe you see something like that, although uh, Bernie Sanders is also somebody that always struck me as a bit of a puzzling choice for a salesman <laughs> on Build Back Better. But who knows? Uh, uh, here's what we do know is that Bill Share is great and we love having him on Aww, the show. Bill, so uh, nice. you, you did you did a great thing for Politico uh, counting down the, uh, the 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 current 
pole position for all of the possible presidential hopefuls. Uh, of course, you are a contributor to Washington Monthly. Uh, what do you got coming up? Uh, I should have coming up very soon the monthly, um, maybe maybe the last review of the movie Don't Look Up. I think everyone else had their Don't Look Up take. Oh, you've already yeah. So you are uh, <laughs> you are you are you're you're, you're you're chiming in on Don't Look Up discourse. <laughs> but I, I I do think I have something to say about Don't Look Up that has not been said. So if uh, once that's up, I do encourage you to check it out. Awesome. Well, uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us as always. My pleasure. Take care. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thank you to Bill Share, you can head on over to px3guest.com. You want to email me about something? I get something wrong. I screw something up. I often do. You just want to tell me, hey, Justin, you did a hell of a job. Well, I would thank you for that. I thank you for any kind of correspondence. Indeed, write me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you would like to follow the show's Twitter account, it is at px3tweets. You can follow me live on Twitch, px3live.com. Now that we're doing stuff on the newsletter again, you can head on over to px3newsletter.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy at px3podcast.com. And you can get political merch supporting this show, politicsmerch.com. Might be time that we refresh some of that too. I'll be, I'll be getting on that soon. But if you see something that you like there now, go get that now. Might not be there forever. If you would like to support us with a one-time donation, then you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is PX3Cash. And of course, anything physical that you'd like to send in the mail, including fiat currency, you can do so at P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. And as always, you can get bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we missed during our free podcast schedule. $10 tier Get your name read at the end of the show, like these fine folks in the Titanic. Ten dollar tier: Idris Arslanian, DJ Katie Mac, Neemeister, Doctor G, Lord Scale, Dakinse Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicetti, TV salesman, a spy. D, really? And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Diana Scathing Scales, Double K Ranch, Shield Pinball Shop, John, Snuffy's Off Route 44, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, the Jen, J Pink, and Andrew. Got your name right at the end of the show. Do yourself a favor. Head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com and join the crowd. One last thing before we go. 
I got a lot of really fun Christmas cards and, and, and I thank everybody, your lovely smiling families. I tried to read out as much as I could. Um, but I got one came in a little bit late, but it was very touching to me. And I want to, and I want to read this here for you. This is, uh, a, a Christmas card, one of them photo Christmas cards with a Santa holding a little kitty cat. Happy holidays, jury. Thank you for all your hard work and dedication this year. You have been my number one podcast. I took a media and politics class this spring, and one of the episodes even influenced my final paper. Some of my fondest memories are my dad and I traveling and and him playing your work. Thank you for shining some light on 2021. Best wishes for 2022. Grace. You know, some people think that I'm, you know, a little caustic. I have a little bit of a sense of humor. You know, maybe I am uh, too quick with a barb here and again. But I really am a big old softy. And uh, Grace, I, I have to say that you uh, have, have absolutely made the beginning of this year much warmer for you sending such an amazing note uh, that, that very much touches me. And I, uh, I'm very excited to continue to work hard, not only for you, Grace, but also for everybody else listening. And it is with that saccharine note that I say that some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.